in this series, we're looking at what it is to follow Christ and the fact that it, it ain't easy, uh, that actually Christ never promised us a life of comfort. In fact, the opposite, a life of trouble and strife and difficulties. And yet, knowing Jesus, that relationship with Jesus just trumps anything, any temporary difficulties and, and hardships that we face as a result of following him. And last week, Reality Check 4 was called Every Person Matters. And Jesus displayed his displeasure uh, in the temple. Do you remember? And he, he rightly kicked over the temple, uh, not temple, the whole temple, the tables in the temple. Uh, too much alliteration. And, um, <laughs> and he just said, look, this should be a place where non-Christians can be. Yeah, put simply, it's a place where the nations, the world should be here. And he just clogged it up like an artery. It's got clogged up with, with uh, awful things that uh, just are not right. And so today, interestingly, we're going to look the leaders of the temple, the Sadducees. They're going to catch up with Jesus today, and they want to have a little chat with old JC after last week and his coming into the temple. The key thing last week, really, if you want to simplify it, was that Jesus came into the temple and he took control. He took control. The place that had been controlled by the Sadducees, Jesus took control. And, and, and they don't really like that, all right? They don't like that. And so now they're going to catch up with Jesus. And what we're going to see is that on the surface of it, they have a theological question for Jesus about the resurrection and marriage. But what we're going to see is that underneath that theological question, actually, there's a much deeper issue, that Jesus has touched a nerve when he took control. He's touched a nerve that they do not like. And we're going to see that these guys, who in many ways, do you know what? The scary thing is this, is that they were successful, they were middle class, they were wealthy, they had comfortable lives, they were the leaders in their realm. And do you know the scary thing is they were Bible guys. You know, they had the fridge magnets. You know, they were those guys that when you're trying to scrabble around in your brain to remember a verse, they would then quote it quicker than you could ever imagine in your small group. They were those guys. They knew the Bible, but what we're going to see is this, is that they nevertheless, despite all of those things, and in many ways, they wouldn't have felt, you know, not at home at city church. They were, I might boldly say, heading to hell. They were heading because of their heart attitude, because of an issue that Jesus is going to highlight in his response to their questions. They were heading to a terrible place, and Jesus wanted to lovingly show that. So let's read then from verse 18. The Sadducees, the temple leaders, come to Jesus. Hey, here we are, verse 18. Sadducees come to him. Look at this, who say there's no resurrection, that's going to be important, and they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. You follow the line of reasoning? This was a a rule uh, from uh, the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament that uh, the people of Israel followed. There were seven brothers, so they give a hypothetical illustration. The first took a wife, and when he died, he left no offspring. The, seven took, uh, sorry, the second took her <clears throat> and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. Now in the resurrection, that we don't believe about, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason that you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read? Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, ring any bells? How God spoke to them saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Father, we Thank you for your word. We thank you. It is perfect. It is immaculate. And it, I, I just want to ask that it will go to work in our hearts today. Come, power of God. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Let us know the power of God in a way they didn't know. Let us know the scriptures in a way that they didn't know. Come, Lord, please. Thank you for your presence with us so far. But we, we just are so aware that no human can ever change hearts. Only you can do it, Lord. Come, Spirit of the living God. Amen. Amen. So there's, there's kind of three things we're just going to walk through here as we come to Reality Check 5, which is this. 
is the reality is, is that some things you can't control. Some things you can't control. You might be thinking, how is that connected to what we just read? All will become very, very clear. Some things you can't control. They had a surface issue about this resurrection, but there was a deeper issue, which was an issue, I believe, of control. We're going to look at that. First of all, we're going to look at the surface smokescreen, just briefly. Then secondly, we're going to look at the deeper issue that this whole resurrection question was masking. And then thirdly, gloriously, we're going to come on to the simple solution that Jesus gives them and us. But as is so often the way, things which are simple doesn't mean that they're easy. Okay? So first of all, then, verses 19 to 23, we see here these Sadducees, these leaders of the temple, uh, which Jesus was in last week, and remember, kicked over the, temp- over the, over the tables. And, and they know that Jesus has spoken three times now about his death and his res- resurrection. He's spoken about, they've heard about that. They also know, and we know from the other gospel accounts, that Jesus has raised a guy called Lazarus. And if you don't know the story, it's pretty mind-blowing. You should try and dig it out. It's amazing where a guy literally dies, okay? He's dead. And then Jesus, because he's God, speaks life into him. Now, they've heard about these incidents, and, and they who do not accept the reality of the resurrection of the dead, therefore they come to Jesus with these questions, and they have an issue, they have a question, but what I want us to see, first of all, is very simple, is that question masks a deeper issue. That question that they come to Jesus with actually masks a deeper issue. They want to make Jesus look a fool, all right? They want to make Jesus look an idiot. They want to give to him this complicated question, about the seven brothers and the, the woman, so that they would flummox Jesus and expose him as an idiot because of this thing about resurrection. <laughs> we know that that's preposterous. That's their heart, okay? So they have a question, but it's a smokescreen kind of thing. And what I just want to pause for a moment and say is this, is um, that is, in fact, how the vast majority of the human race operate. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned against God, what was the first, one of the first things they did? They got some fig leaves and they, they covered themselves. They entered into the, the eternal pursuit that, that, that um, humans have been in ever since of covering up, of covering up, of, of masking something. They have a real issue really, but they don't want to talk about it. They want to give this covered up, this masking response. And that is something that the world does often unconsciously. And what we see here is that God who is the way and the truth and the life, he is in stark contrast. The world is full of cover-uppers and God is a revealer. God is a shower of truth. I am the way and the truth and the life is what Jesus says. I am him. I'm not trying to reveal and confuse and do smoke. I am a revealer. So if you don't know Christ here today, you don't know God, God's heart and his love for you is that you will know who he is. He's a revealer and he's so different to the world. I remember when I was a non-Christian and looking into the whole Christian faith, I remember bombarding my dad with all these questions, which were kind of, to a degree, what I was really wanting to know about, the reality of the resurrection. But you know, when I'd had the 50th book suggested to me that proved historically it really did happen. And yet I persist. I just needed a bit longer, Dad. A bit more. Really, actually, that was just a smokescreen. And the real issue was this, is that I knew to be a Christian meant, to me, it was swallowing my pride and admitting for years I thought Christians were crazy and it was going to be a stigma time for me in my brain. It's the whole shame thing. I can't believe I have to admit that I'm wrong. It was a deeper issue, but there was a smokescreen that was there. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you've been actually coming for, for months, maybe even years. And maybe you've, if someone asked you about the Christian faith, you say, oh yeah, I'm still seriously thinking about it. But maybe actually, maybe today's the day where you just to go, do you know what? That's, that is a bit of a smokescreen. <laughs> it's a little bit of a, a mask. Really, I just need to step out. I've asked a trillion questions, but there's a step of faith. And maybe that's actually just for you what God wants to lovingly bring you to today. But the real challenge is this, is that it's not just when we're looking into the faith. It, I don't know if it's just me, but I find it carries on or it can carry on right into my faith. This whole masking a deeper issue in my life. It can be things like, oh, I would get baptized. I really would, but I just have a bit, a few more theological questions. I, I know I've asked 5,452 of them, but I just, I, I, get, I know Jesus just said, repent and be baptized, but I just want to go a bit deeper. Give me a bit more time. 
Or it can be, yeah, I would take up that leadership responsibility. I really would. But it's just right now, you know, I'm not an extrovert like those, those extroverts out there. And actually, you know, at some point in my life, I'll, I'll do that. And we mask it sometimes, don't we? When really, deep down, there's a deeper issue. You know, I would start giving regularly, generously, but actually, it's just right, right now, there's just these things I've got to sort out. And I've also got to do a little bit more work theologically, you know, about this whole tithing and giving more. I've just got to, give me another, excellent my time. So I'm using some illustrations, but to say that, that we can be those that may be like the Sadducees sometimes. What starts as a genuine issue, can we can just allow just to trickle on because deep down we don't want to confront something. And you see, the world we live in is a world of cover-uppers, isn't it? You know? It's a world where, of super injunctions, where we get a legal thing, I don't really understand it, but basically covers up our identity. Yeah, I have a legal right to be protected. Really? <laughs> really? Do you? Okay. Where the ultimate nightmare is WikiLeaks. Everything's revealed. And this is the world we live in. And in stark contrast, Jesus here, lovingly, he realizes that, guys, that's the culture you're in. That's the world you've always been in. This is the world we live in of covering up ever since Adam and Eve sinned. And I want to lovingly, in a way that's really uncomfortable, get beneath the surface is what he's saying. And he wants to do that today with us. So how are we doing on that? When we hear truth, and we've heard some, just in the last few weeks, some truth that's probably come and it's trying to get in. Help, let me in. Are we letting it in? Are we Kung Fu deflectors? Or are we humble acceptors who say, no, it's just spontaneous. Uh, are we allowing it in? It's just a mask. It's not true. Yeah? You see the point? You see, they, they, we look at the Sadducees and go, oh, those guys. But actually, there can be a Sadducee in all of us. It really can. And, and God wants us to go deeper. So, so the deeper issue, secondly then, is a real one. This is where I want to spend more time. You see, this is the thing about the Sadducees was this, is that they were those that didn't believe in the resurrection. But do you know what? Actually, they didn't believe in, we've got a little table here, which will come up behind me, which hopefully help you to see. They didn't believe in the reality of angels or spirits or demons or anything really supernatural. The real issue was they didn't believe in the supernatural. And so they certainly didn't believe in this whole thing about resurrection the idea of coming back to life, that was the real, that was their surface collection of issues. But do you know what? What I believe is, is that there was a deeper issue than all of those. The deep core issue, I believe, was actually an issue of control. And what do I mean by that? I mean this, is that they were used to being in control. They were the guys that led the temple. They were the guys that people, when you said jump, they said how high. Yeah, they were those guys. They were the, the, the ones that led the world in that sense. They were used to being masters of their own destiny. But the horrific thing was this, was that therefore for them, they didn't understand that the delusion of being in control was going to kill them. They were living in a delusion of it, and they didn't understand that this was, again, like a cancer that, that, that is exposed in their questions. That if they allowed to eat away, would prevent them entering the kingdom, is what Jesus is saying. You've got to understand that if you live continually in the sense of thinking you are in control of your life, then you will ultimately, without even realizing it, shut yourselves off from the gospel. The gospel that screams at us, you are not in control. You are not in control. It's so key. Don't miss just what I said. This is the core issue. This is the core issue. You see, this is the reality. Is that in Ad, when, Ad, when God created Adam and Eve, there was a uniqueness about them. When he created the first humans, we see he says these words to them in Genesis 1. He says this, be fruitful and increase in number. And what Paul Tripp in his brilliant book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, points out is this, is that as God was creating, there's a cadence to the, to the literature in Genesis 1. He created light. He created all things. And then suddenly, when it comes to humans, he spoke to them. Now follow the line of reasoning here. It's key for us. He spoke to them. He hadn't spoken to the rest of creation. He didn't create a tree and go, and now do this. Okay, and now, squirrel, make the nuts, the key thing in life. He spoke to humans. Now, why is that key? It's key because this, 
God knew that even though Adam and Eve were perfect people, they were created to be dependent. Say dependent. They were created to be dependent. Now, this is massive because he says this. They did not need help, i.e. be fruitful and multiply. Humans, this is I'm talking to you and I'm giving you the directive for your life. The unique part of creation. Everything else didn't have that. I'm speaking to you and he's exposing that not because they sinned. This is Genesis 1. Just because they were human, they were created to be dependent. Do you see that? breathtaking, isn't it? They're the one part of creation that most displays the glory of God, but they're the one part of creation alone that is in that sense most dependent on God. Not because they'd sinned, not because they were weak, but because they were human. They were created to be God-hearers and God-doers in relationship to God. Let's put it in the language today, to be aware God's in control, not me. They wouldn't have known to be fruitful and multiply if he hadn't spoken to them, this is what I'm telling you to do. This is massive. This is massive. Being human beings needs, we need God's word to live fully for his glory. Listen, our culture tends to think we need help because of something we did or something that was done done to us, the result of either bad, bad biology or bad chemistry. But listen, Genesis 1 tells us we were created to be dependent. Trying to live without God actually is to assign myself to be subhuman, is to live like an animal. If we try to live without dependence on God. In that acute sense, because we're the only part of creation which God spoke to. And he designed, this is the beginning. I'm always going to be speaking to you. I'm always going to be shaping you, not like the rest of creation. Isn't that amazing? So if there had been no fall, if, if sin had never come, if we had never sinned, we would still need help because we are human. It's not because we are weak. It's because we are human. And therefore, you see, that is profound. We are those that, because we are human, we need help. And we are human, therefore we are those that should be the most aware. God's in control, not me. And this is what was starting to get into their souls, that they had rejected that. And there were two reasons why. One, their lifestyle. And two, their Bible reading. Isn't that amazing? Their lifestyle and their Bible reading had meant that they were starting to live in the delusion that they were in control of everything. That they didn't need to be in active relationship, listening to God and doing the things of God. There's two things that had led to this. First of all, their lifestyle. You see, they, these guys were very wealthy. They had all the comfort that the world affords. You know, if they were ill, they could pay for Booper. You know, if they were tired, they could pay for a holiday in the Maldives. You know, if they needed to get fit, they could afford the gym membership. Everything that they needed, they could get. That sound like anyone here? Sounds like most of us. Maybe not the Maldives, but, you know, Skegness, whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? We live in a wealthy nation. They were comfortable. They had everything they needed. Listen, that meant that they, their, li- their lifestyle lied to them. It started to whisper, you don't need to be actively dependent on God. You can be in control. You can make things happen. And that beginning Genesis 1 creative order was broken. And they didn't even realize it. They were starting to live in a way that was independent from God. Now this is huge because this meant that therefore when anything came in, e.g. supernatural stuff, that was so clearly not in their control, it freaked them out. That's why when Jesus came and he he disrupted the temple and he exerted his control, that freaked them out because that was the place we control, thank you. And then he spoke about the resurrection and they're thinking, what? No, no, we, we don't believe in life after death because we know we can control the here and now. This is the issue that's going on deep in their souls. It's very scary because the reality is we could become not City Church Whitstable or City Church Canterbury, but City Church, City Church Sadducee, couldn't we? We could start to slip. Look, this is why Jesus says, you do not know the power of, say it, power of, you know the power of your own life. You know the power of wealth. You know the power this world gives you of being young and being invincible. That's the power you're familiar with, and it's an illusion. You are not familiar with the power of God. That is why, actually, the lifestyle I had, it's not sinful, it's just dangerous. The lifestyle we have is not sinful, it's just dangerous, is what he's actually showing us. You don't know the power of God. Why didn't they know the power of God? Because in part, their lifestyle lied to them. That's why Jesus so regularly said, the poor, they're an interesting 
category because the poor have no illusions that they're in control. They know that. They feel their vulnerability. That's why the poor in droves so regularly come to Christ. And that's why 4% of this nation go to church. 2% of that probably actually know Christ. Isn't that amazing? You can just trace it. You have to be a scientist. Just look across the world. The place where God's so actively accepted is in the poorest places. That's scary. City Church Sadducee. Don't like the sound of that. But then what we see, secondly, is that he also not talks just about the power. He also talks about knowledge of Scripture, Bible. This is really fascinating. The Bible bounced off them. Their lifestyle lied to them, so they thought they were in control. And secondly, their Bible it like bounced off them. What do I mean by that? Well, it was what they read, and it was how they read it. First of all, they only read certain bits of the Bible. Pick and mix. That was their style, all right? They only read the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch. It was written by a guy called Moses. And were they getting, getting too deep? I think one of the key reasons why they liked this bit but kind of didn't read the rest was because at the core of the Pentateuch was the point where God gave his Ten Commandments. You know, don't kill, don't murder. Most of us know that. Now, the interesting thing about those Ten Commandments, although they're beautiful and true, is we can often think, oh, I can do those. They appeal to someone who feels they're in control. The other parts of Scripture that sometimes are overtly supernatural, overtly God doing things where you think, I have no control here, they can freak us out if this is an issue. But for these guys, they, oh, we love the Pentateuch. Pick and mix. Now, this is scary, guys, because, again, this is why, as a church, we emphasize with all of our heart trying to read the whole of Scripture. The, the lovely bits, Jesus is my shepherd, and the scary bits, Jesus is my judge. If we pick and choose, we can become Sadducees. We can become Sadducees. I heard of a lady who in many ways I greatly respect, but when she was asked about the difference between men and women, particularly in marriage or in church leadership, and she said, oh, well, the Apostle Paul, I think he just had it in for women, I think. And so I don't tend to read too much about that. He wrote huge swathes of the New Testament. But because what he said was something that challenged how she saw how things should be, rather than humbly accepting it, she just kind of poo-pooed it. And we can do that, can't we? We can, we can just have a pick-and-mix attitude to Scripture and just read elements that appeal to how we think should be if we were in control of this world. And then we just kind of don't read the other bits. But also, it wasn't just what they read. It was how they read the bits that they did read. It got worse. Because look, and this is what Jesus does here. I mean, he is, he's a bit cheeky, but I love it. He says it here, look, verse 26. He says, have you not read in the book of Moses? That's the five books. Oh, cheeky. Have you not read? Everyone knew the Sadducees' middle name was the book of Moses. That's who they were. They were the scripture guys for those five books. They, they knew it off by heart. This was their thing. Have you not read in the book of Moses? He says to them, you can read, but not read. And then with the very verse that they would have had on their fridge, he says this, look, I am the God. He's quoting from one of the five books. I am. You say, I was the God. I will be the God. I am. Present tense. Big wow. Listen, these two guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were like leaders from the people of Israel. And they were all dead by the point that God spoke these words to Moses. They were dead. And God's saying, I am present tense. They're not dead. They're alive, is what he's saying. I am still their God because they are in paradise now with me. And they had read this in the books that they chose to read, but they hadn't just had a pick and mix. They'd had a filter lens on. Yeah? It was staring them in the face that God was a God who wouldn't be controlled. These guys were alive and well with him in paradise now. That the resurrection of the dead was something that would happen one day. This was a real thing. And yes, oh Sadducees, that might freak you out. But guess what? It's in the very portion of Scripture that you say you know, that you say you love. And we sit and they go, how could they be so foolish? It's in the present tense. Tom just said it was. Look, I can see. But we do the exact same thing, don't we? We say, um, I believe in prayer because the Bible tells us, I believe that I can talk to the God of the universe and he will 
He will actually respond. And then we can hardly ever pray. We can say, I believe because the Bible tells me that if I give financially in a way that's generous and full of faith, it will literally shape my eternity in a way I can't understand, but that's what the Bible says. And then we cannot give. We can say, I believe the Bible tells me that as a community, we're going to be, we're going to be together for eternity. And then we can hardly invest in relationships. We can say, I believe as a Christian now that I am righteous before God and he loves me more than any other human. And yet our worship can just be, we can be more distracted by our telephone or by that guy who's walked in. We can be Sadducees. We can be sliding towards being Sadducees without even realizing it if we don't actually know the scriptures in a way that changes us. Do you see that? We have to realize that the issue might be different for us. We might go, I have no problem with the resurrection of the dead. But that's not the issue. The deeper issue is this is that they knew the scriptures, but they didn't know the scriptures. They weren't actually living in them because secretly they thought, well, that's a bit OTT, that's a bit crazy. Can I really believe that? That's scary. It scares me anyway. And so this is the question is that he says here, you don't know the power of God and you don't know the power of scriptures. You still think you're therefore in control. Anyone here seen Toy Story? Yeah, I was just reminded of a picture. Martin shared this earlier on in the week. It's hilarious. Of you know Buzz Lightyear, and he thinks he's invincible, doesn't he? He's got his little light. He thinks it's a laser. You know, he's got his plastic wings, boing, and he thinks he can fly. And we can be like that. We can honestly think, if we don't know the power of God, but we just know the world's power. If we don't know the scriptures, but just bits of the scriptures. And the bits that we do know, we just filter out. If, if we do that, that leads us to think that we are in control, like old Buzz. And there comes that tragic moment where he gets onto the banister and he hurls himself off and he doesn't fly. We're not in control. We're not in control. But we can, even as a whole church, have a Buzz Lightyear view of ourselves if we don't know the Scriptures and we don't know the power of God but we only know a different type of power. And this is, this is the truth that we have to realize because if this is true, if secretly we are those that think we're in control of ourselves, this is the really awful thing is that it doesn't even lead to what it promises. In his book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, this guy, Peter Scazzero, he describes himself when he starts entering back into this state. He notices some things about himself when he's actually living effectively as if he is in control of his own life. He says, I'm anxious more. I'm always rushing and hurrying. My body can sometimes be like in a knot. I find myself doing too many things. My mind can't stop racing. I find myself driving too fast. I'm not able to be fully present with people. I can be irritable about simple tasks of life, like having to wait in line at the supermarket. And I'm skimming over time with God. Those are little silly things, but they, they indicate in his life when actually he's not in that place of realizing some things you cannot control. In fact, most things we can't control. Those are the ways that he sees it in his life. And this is the reality is that God will lead us to what I call walls. Those moments in your life where you realize you're not in control where you suddenly realize it, you're not in control. Paul talks about it in, I think it's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, I despaired of life. That's a wall. That's a moment where he's thinking, I'm not in control. This is awful. This is way beyond me. And he said, but this happens so that I would not rely on myself, but on God, who can raise even the dead. And he will continue to deliver me. A wall, those things in your life that show you you're not in control, although they're uncomfortable and they're difficult, they're the kindest thing that can occur to us, aren't they? They're the kindest things. They're not meant to lead us into a place of despair. They're meant to lead us into a place of knowing our weakness, number one, and also ultimately a place of worship where we cry out to God. We do a pull. We say, Lord, this thing in my life, and I don't know what those walls might be. I reckon this place is full of people at walls. I don't know what it might be. Maybe you've got a new job. And you suddenly think, oh my goodness, I can't actually do this on my own. 
Maybe you've got a job promotion. Maybe there's a, you want to move house and your house isn't selling. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're a non-Christian here and you're saying, I want to believe this, but I feel, I feel like, how do, how do I get in? How, I, I feel I want to, but I feel like there's a kind of wall. I don't know how to do this. I need help. Maybe you've got a wayward child that you love almost more than life, but you think, I can't control this. <laughs> I, I want to control this with all of my being, but I can't. How do I do this? There's this wall. There's this, I can't do this. It's the most painful thing in the world. But you know what? It's the most kind thing that God can allow us to feel. He wants us to be a, a people that are, are, are regularly aware of feeling the wall. Because these guys had never felt it before. They'd never felt it. Their lifestyle lied to them. Their Bible reading bounced off them. Hadn't penetrated. I'm in control. I'm Buzz Lightyear. No, you're not. And your loving Father, He wants us to know that. Because, you know, if we, when we feel those walls, do you know that the awful thing is, if control is effectively our God, the thing that we really think will lead us to a place of, of victory, it lies. And it leads to despair. I was just chatting to a mate of mine this week, uh, a non-believer who was talking about another friend of his who's a non-believer, a multimillionaire, who had been investing millions into a local community. He's a good guy, giving it away. But he'd overstretched himself. And he was starting to get into terrible financial situations. We tried to sell his house, couldn't sell his house. Got worse and worse. And just after Christmas, he put a shotgun in his mouth. And for the last time, he felt in control. And took his own life. My friend was there just saying, why would he do that? You know, a few months earlier, he would have been a prized person. And just that realizing, I'm not in control. He didn't have any, didn't have any answer. And my heart broke and I thought, mate, you could be Bill Gates, all the money in the world, and you're not in control. And the answer, and this is the tragedy, is God doesn't, it's the most, heartbreaking thing when that happens. God wants lovingly us to learn with small walls. We learn now, what, Lord, what do I do when I feel that? How do I stay in that place of knowing? Even when there isn't a wall, that's the real trick. When, I, when there isn't something, I'm still aware. If there isn't something right now I'm feeling that I can't control, that doesn't mean I can control everything. Yeah? Why? Because then you're in a place of ongoing dependence on God, even when he hasn't had to bring a wall. So what's the solution? And this is the kindness of Jesus Christ. It's, it, he, he's, he, he wants everyone to get it, all right? Not just a few Greek learning theologians, okay? So chin up, okay? Last part here. The solution is this. It's very simple, but it isn't easy, <laughs> but it's simple. If the problem is that they didn't know his power, and they didn't know his word. The solution is to know his word and to know his power. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I wish I had a better one. That's rubbish, isn't it? It's sad. You think, what? I could have done that, Tom. No, but it's actually profound. It's really amazing. It really is. I just finished with the, just unpacking this. What do I mean? First of all, then, knowing his word. Put your hand on your heart with me. Yep. Hand on your heart. He's saying, I, I don't just want you to know the scriptures. The Sadducees knew part of the Bible incredibly well. I want you to know it in here. And you have a real enemy and he doesn't want you to. You know, one of my biggest passions, you can take your hand off now. My biggest passions is I love in, uh, discipleship, like we heard. Be it that day. Discipleship, mentoring, it's massive. It's brilliant. We all need it. Pete Gregory, Rob Shillitoe, they invested into me when I was a young Christian. Many of you others. And, and helped me. And they and my dad always said, you've got to know the Bible, Tom. I'm not being a legalist. I'm being, we're in a war. You've got to know the sword of the Spirit. If you don't know it, you are just a sitting target. You'll turn into a Sadducee without realizing it. You, don't, I, I, you have to know it. You have to live it. Do you read the Bible or do you let the Bible read you? There's a difference. You can read the Bible or do you let it read you? Do you come under it? Do you say, this might not be how I think should be, things should be. But you know what? I'm going to let it read me. If that's what it says, then Lord, I want to obey it. You know, if you watch four hours of telly a day, 
as the average British person does, and you get into your Bible four minutes a day, big, big surprise, you're not going to be the person God wants you to be. Let's be really practical. Okay? God wants us to be a people who learn this. I remember years ago investing in a guy, I won't say his name, and I'd always said to him, you've got to learn to self-feed, bro. You've got to, you've got to get, you know, you've got to start learning how to get this into yourself. I can't do that for you. You're a big boy now. He's like, got it, got it. And he's a clever guy. And eventually, um, I met with him and said, okay, tell me um, three books of the Bible, why they were written, what the solution was that the person, you know, gave. Just basic. Un- and he's like, Arr. I said, right, I love you, mate, but go home Answer those questions, because unless you are actually getting into the Bible as a big boy for yourself or a big girl, then I can't change you. I'm not going to give you time unless you do that, all right? That's your part of the bargain. Like, oh, yes, sir. And off he went. And I thought afterwards, oh, that's a bit harsh. Oh, well. Damn it. I'm sorry, Lord. And he came back the next day, and he bought me three Bible commentaries. And this was a student, very expensive. And he said, thank you. That was the kindest thing you've ever done. We need to be those that understand I know it's not rocket science, but we need to know the Word. Because when we look at the Word, guess what it reminds us? We're not in control. <laughs> From start to finish, it's not about a people who are in control. It's about a God who's in control. A God who opens red seas. A God who calls weak young men like David who end up having affairs and, and killing people. And yet God still calls him. Who's in control there? It's God. It's about, it's, the whole thing is about a God who's in control, a God who uses a normal people to, with trumpets to walk around a, a physical city and the walls come down. Why was that? Was that because they were in control or was it because it was he was in control? The whole book from start to finish is about a God who's in control. And even when Jesus came to earth, he was one who didn't fight to have control, who laid down his life. Saying, do you know what? The Father's will. I'm about his will. He's the one I'm wanting to follow. He lay it down. He shows us. And you know, that is massive for us because, you know, it releases us. Because when we think we're in control and we're trying to fight to be in control, it kills us. But when you think, do you know what? This isn't about me. The movie, as we heard two weeks ago, is not about me. It's about God, about Jesus. It's all about him. He loves us. But if we think it's about us, we're going to be miserable. And we lift our gaze and we get, wow. Even Jesus was like, I'm about my Father's glory. Not my own glory. He's the one. He's the one that I'm living for and I'm modelling it to you. And the Word alone, knowing the Word, living in the Word. As Rick Warren says, he says, growth comes through constant gazing upon the Word, not occasional glancing. Constant glaze. Oh, I knew, I knew I'd get it wrong. Constant gazing, not occasional glancing. He's in charge. It's knowing His word, but knowing that it's His word. Whose word is this? Say it. It's His. Now, that's important, guys. It's not mine. It's not human. It's His word. If we want to avoid being Sadducees who secretly think we're in control and therefore reject things that aren't in our paradigm. We have to realize this is his word. His word, his perfect authoritative word. Yes, there it is, the A word. He is in authority over us. We don't come and try and make it say something. We humbly submit to the word. Know his word. As we heard last week, Jesus said, this is my house. The church is mine. I have a specific shape for it. I'm in authority, not humans. It's his wonderful thing. He is in control. He is the one that says that, which means that therefore we come and our question is not, Lord, does this make sense if I was in control? But that's not the issue. The whole Bible is full of things that wouldn't make sense. You know, when you read 1 Corinthians 9, Paul reminds the church in Corinth. Yeah, do you remember in the Old Testament? Sexual immorality, something that this world doesn't think is a big deal. God saw it in his church. Read this, 1 Corinthians 9. And he said, because of it, in a single day, 23,000 Israelites were judged dead because of it. That's in the New Testament, quoting the Old. Now, we logically go, that's over the top. Do you see how deadly it is? If we don't know this word, we will be so out of sync with the God of the universe, who is incredibly loving and incredibly holy. It's his word. It's his word that we submit to. That's why I reminded us just a few weeks ago of C.T. Studd. Do you remember that? He was one of the wealthiest guys in England. He was on the cricket team. And yet he read Mark 10, the rich young ruler. And Jesus said, sell everything. And he knew it was God's word. 
So what did he do? He gave millions away and he started his married life with five pounds. That's a man who so could have been a Sadducee. He so could have been deluded because the world's power, his lifestyle could have lied to him. The Bible reading could have bounced off, but he owned it. And he said, well, I'm going to just take this literally. I'm not going to try and theologize. I'm just going to, for me, for him, for that moment, it literally meant it. And it may not mean that for many of us. But the Spirit and the Word together are his authority. And it's those two together because he's saying you don't know the power of God because you don't know the word of God. Isn't it amazing that you only really know the power through the page? You only know the power of God through the page. If you just have a a, a desire for the spiritual things without knowing the page, you're in a dangerous place. Dangerous place. It's the word together. When he says scripture and power, he's saying the word and the spirit. The word and the spirit together. The word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Oh, we need to be a people who know his word. But finally, we need to know his power. Say, know his power. Know it. Do you know it like a husband knows his wife? If I introduce you to someone and go, do you know this person? Oh, yeah, we know each other. That's how it should be. Shouldn't be a stranger. If I put your name, if I was to say this, you know, your name here. It should be that people say, yeah, that, that lady, she knows the power of God. Just last week, she did this. Just last Tuesday, this thing happened in her life. She knows the power of God. Do you know what I'm saying? Not know about, know it. Intimate, close. It's about being intimate, not being a stranger. I find this so challenging for myself because I, you know, organization and planning are God-given things. But at the same time, alongside that as well, in parallel, that we have to be a people who know his power. That things are because he is in control, not because we are in control. He loves it. He wants that. He wants us to be a people who know his power, intimate rather than being strangers, but also present tense rather than past tense. Isn't that, isn't that the truth that God wants us to know it? Present tense. You know, you can't actually be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. So everyone starts as a Christian knowing in a gentle way, age five in the creche or whatever, or city kids rather, or being dramatic after a life of terrible, whatever, however your story is, everyone starts as a Christian because of the Spirit. But then he says, keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step. You ever, you know, when you're walking with your dad and you're little, your dads walk fast, don't they? Mums walk even faster. Like, keep in step. Are you in step with him? Are you in step, really? Or do you not even know what I'm talking about? You think, what? Keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in line. Listen to him. You can grieve the Spirit, it says. You can grieve him. Business we talked about last week, I can grieve him. It's a gentle thing. Knowing the power of God requires that cultivating, that walking, that close with him. When I talk about mission, as we're doing a lot at the moment, if you don't know that it's about partnership with the Spirit, you will feel pressure. If you felt pressure last week, then maybe you're not in step with the Spirit. Because when you're in step with the Spirit, you know that He's not asking you to make something happen. He is the evangelist. Do you realize that? It's great when human evangelists come, but we've got the ultimate one. He's called the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. He loves the lost more than any human. And He's here. Hallelujah. Yay! He's here and he's with you. Yes, even when you're going to work tomorrow and you're on the bus or wherever it is. He's with you and he's wild about the lost. He's passionate about the lost. He's the most soft-hearted evangelist ever. And he's the most powerful one. He's with you. He wants. This is not about us making things happen. It is, though, about us keeping in step with him. Listening to him. Am I watching things that are going to grieve him so surprisingly I don't hear him? Or I'm actually saying, Lord, through your word and through the Spirit, I'm living in partnership with him. I'm in step with him. I had the privilege this week of, with few leaders, meeting a guy called uh, Dave Smith, who from eight adults has seen a church grow. On Easter, they had 5,000 people in Peterborough. Okay, it's pretty exciting. And, I, and this guy is super impressive. He's like, all these, you know, um, like systems and plans. And actually, that's important because if the church gets bigger, 1 Corinthians 14, God says... I'm not a God of disorder. 
I'm a God of order. So it's a good thing when it's led by the Spirit. Amen? I'm not against those things. They're incredibly important if we're going to diligently connect with everyone. But alongside that, in parallel to that, he said two things. That, well, he said one thing and he demonstrated another that I took away with it. The first thing he said, the lesson that God taught him was this. You're not in control. For nine years, the church grew about sort of 15 people. Nine years! And God was saying, you're not in control. You're not in control. You learned that yet? No, no, you're still not in control. Still not in control, Dave. Not in control, buddy. Keep learning that one. Just again. And he was like, oh, this wall. Eventually he learned it. <laughs> and that's why prayer and the spirit and everything else is just massive, as well as preaching the word and good organization. But you know the other thing that most people wouldn't have even seen? I noticed this. All of us were having coffee beforehand, and I suddenly had this noise. And there's only like 20 of us. And this guy, he's like, he's Mr. Connected. He knows the biggest, well, biggest church pastors in the world. He's used to speaking to lots of people. I looked in this little room, and he was next door before the meeting, walking up and down, speaking in tongues at the top of his lungs. I was thinking, calm down, Dave. <gasps> Mate, it's all right. You don't have to preach. You just have to share a few ideas. Goodness sake, Dave. It's over the top. <gasps> then he came in, and the whole atmosphere changed. Like, the Holy Spirit was profoundly in there. And this guy started talking about his story and how he had gone from someone who was just, he called it, we were, what did he say? We were a charismatic happy house. Yeah? We did kind of like the lost, but it wasn't really, wasn't our DNA. And he said, God just nailed him and said, brother, you, do you want to build that and just keep Christians happy? Or do you actually want to see a, a city really impacted? And he said, God, that. And God just changed him. And he shared this story and in every half an hour, he'd say, stop, let's pray. And he'd just start walking around going, and just on top of his lungs, in tongues. I was like, blimey. And then we had lunch, and I was kind of tired, so I sneaked off into a room. And I was literally lying down going, blimey, get me through the afternoon, Lord. In he walks, not knowing I'm there. I'm, I'm literally behind some desks. I'm like, he's over there. He doesn't know I'm in there. And he's walking around going, Shama, kama, brandi, adora, brandi, adora. and I'm like, blimey, he never stops. And then he lies on his back, and he keeps going. And this just goes on the whole day. And you never hear, Dave Smith, I know you might not know who he is, but in Christian leaders' world, he's very well known. You never hear that. You hear Dave Smith. He's a very good preacher. He's very organized. It's because he knows the power. Do you see it? I was so humbled. Thank you, God. I got 12 pages of notes. They're good. But the thing was, he knows the power. He knows it, intimate. And for him, it just meant he spoke in tongues a lot. Do you speak in tongues a lot? <laughs> I've been speaking a lot since then, this week. Not surprised. All the time. Yes. Don't forget that, Tom. I know it's not rocket science. But you know what? They were, these guys were so clever. They would have just poo-pooed. You don't know the scriptures or the power. <laughs> they probably forgot this incident. They just shelved it. So profound. So profound. I remember desperately trying to share the faith with my mother-in-law. About two years ago, and I was getting really complicated. You know, really, I thought I was using the best illustrations and everything. Nothing was happening. I just, this isn't really right. And then I heard about nine months ago, she went to a farm because it was the lambing season near Brighton. And a farmer called Gerald, who owns the farm, who's also a man who knows the power of God. And they just let the public in, and then they just watch <laughs> as the Holy Spirit does the rest. And he just went up to her and went, All right there. And she was like, Oh, hi. Non-Christian, Lady Liz. He says, um, she goes, I keep coming back to this farm. I don't know why. And he's like, yes, you do. She's like, what do you mean? He said, because he's here. The Holy Spirit. She was like, oh, I suppose, I suppose that's sort of true. I suppose I do sense something rather different here. I hadn't put in those words, but that's true. And after about 20 minutes, half an hour of talking, led by the Spirit, and the fact that she'd had a really awful first marriage, and he said, Dave, you know what you need to do, don't you? You need to forgive your, your first husband. In 30 minutes from scratch with a complete stranger. And she says, yes, you're totally right. She went to the church that he's also part of. She did, she's done Alpha twice. Totally born again. Two weeks ago was baptized on a Sunday. Praise God. That was, this is a farmer. I've met him. He's a legend. So this isn't, you know, pastor, uh -uh, didn't get it right. I was all kind of, come, yeah, let, let me get, you know, explain it. I can use some illustrations. He, he just led by the Spirit. That sounds a bit vague, but he really was. He was listening to him and his ways. 
And actually, on paper, it looked far more kind of crazy and just direct. Praise God. This is available. You might be a farmer, all right? don't know if anyone here is a farmer. You might be a mum. Go guy. He's a farmer. You might be a mum. You might be a businessman. You might be 12. You might be 112. It doesn't matter. If you know Jesus, the Spirit's with you. And in this time, he's trying to say, reality check. Guess what? Don't not know the Word. Don't not know the Spirit. He wants you to know Him. Let's stand. Let's stand. We've got seven glorious minutes. Parents, relax. It's all right. Band, if you can come up. Just, we're just going to be before our God for a moment. Lord, we present ourselves before you. Okay. I want you now to take responsibility for your application. I want you before your God. Just, you know what he's been speaking to you about. I, I don't, but he does. Just now, do what you need to do. You might close your eyes. Don't let anything distract you in this moment. Just let his power fall on you afresh. Come, Holy Spirit. If you don't know Jesus, and you're just thinking, what is this about? Listen, it's very simple. It's about admitting you're not in control and knowing that if you were to meet him now, you couldn't control his view of you. But if you don't know Jesus, it wouldn't be good. And you need to say, God, I want to ask that you will forgive me. But at the cross, you took the sin of me trying to control things upon yourself. And at the end of this meeting, I'm going to encourage you to come forward to myself or Matt who led the meeting and to say, I want to know this God who is in control. But for for those of us who know Christ right now, the spirit is really here. I believe he wants to free many of you from just a sense of, without realizing it, Sadduceean control thing. He just wants to release you. And if you are in a place where you're feeling that wall right now, just embrace it. Don't deny it's there. I can think of about eight walls in my life right now. And I wish they weren't there, but they are there because of the grace of God. Right now, church, in your heart, don't fear. Don't fear those things you can't control. Don't fear. Don't allow the lie that you are insignificant and God is too busy to be with you. He is here now and he is with you when you leave in a moment. And right now, you just say, Father, I give you this wall. Lord, I give it to you. I'm sorry if this is the first time I've really given it to you. Thank you that you love me and you don't judge me. Oh, God, break human effort. Break just trying really hard. Lord, thank you that you do call us to work. Paul said that. But ultimately, knowing the Spirit alone, the Word alone shows us you're in control. I pray for strength from the Spirit now across this room. Strength for everyone here. Strength, not because we deserve it, but because you give it liberally. Pray now, Lord Jesus, to us to be able to say with a smile on our face, Lord, you are in control, not me. This may be my last moment. I may never have lunch if you take me to be with you now. And Lord, I submit, I submit to your kingship. You are the boss. You're the God of control. And I just say, Lord, continue to free us. Continue to free us. Lord, as we in a moment break bread and as we drink wine, we are reminded afresh, Lord God, that this was at the highest price for us to be freed from that which the world is ensnared with. Lord, I pray. Lord, help us to to make the right applications in our life to make the right steps. Lord, we worship you. Jesus' name. Amen.